help. I'm sure each and every one of us at one time or the other has uttered that word. Sometimes the cry is to God, God help me. Sometimes the cry is to someone else, another human being. In Psalm 119, verse 86, the psalmist who loved God and loved the word of God and the ways of God offered a short, short prayer. In that verse, he cried out to God in light of the fact that he was being persecuted. He cried out to God, help me. Help me. And there are times that we need to utter that prayer to God. But then there are times that we are asking others to help. I can remember very vividly in my own life when we used to live in Santa Clarita. And on one particular occasion, I decided to get a glass out of the cabinet. And the next thing I knew, the cabinet was becoming detached from the wall. So glasses and plates and cups were falling out of the cabinet, crashing to the ground, creating glass all over the place. Not what you want uh, if you don't have any socks or shoes on. The other thing you don't want is for the cabinet not to complete completely down. So I was there trying to hold it up. And I remember crying help. But the bad thing is there was nobody there to help me. I had to solve the, the problem on my own, trying to make sure I didn't cut up my feet. But somehow, some way, hold that cabinet up. And uh, so th- there are different times that life's throws you a curve, so to speak. And all you can say is help. And sometimes you have to cry out to God and say, God, help me. I can't make it in this situation. I can't make it in this circumstance. It's frustrating when you're trying to do something and you don't know how to do it. Ever been there where you're thrown into a situation, it might be a ministry, might be a job, and no one took the time to tell you how to do it. You're placed on a board. Nobody said what the responsibilities are. I can remember very, again, vividly when in my own life I was placed on a board, and I was honored to be on that board, and I asked the chairman of the board, what do I have to do? He just said, show up. (laughs) Uh, That's not what you want to hear when you are given certain responsibilities. Sometimes churches find themselves at a loss of what to do. There are people who join a local church, and they don't know what the responsibilities are. They don't know what the privileges are. And so they're at a loss. 
Here at Fairview, we at least try to have a new members class, and in the new members class, we go over certain things so that a person can be introduced to the church and know what it is that God would want of them. But sometimes that's not effective. People might hear it on that particular Saturday or might hear it for a few weeks, and it goes out their ears, so to speak. So today, what I want to do, I want to start a series entitled, Help, I'm a Church Member. Help, I'm a Church Member. And I want us to get a good grip on what it means to be a member of a local church. Now, I realize for some of you, that's of no interest to you because you don't believe that you should be a member of a local church. That's a whole different sermon, whole different issue. But there are people who feel that they don't have to be a member of a local church. I'm hoping as we go through this series, everyone will see why it's crucial, it's critical, why it's biblical to be a part and a member of a local church. Some people don't feel like they need this series because they know what it means to be a member. They think being a member is coming to the worship service, giving, and possibly serving. And that's part of it, but that's not the whole picture of what it means to be a church member. And then there are those who might not say it verbally, but silently in their heart. They're saying, I'm struggling. I don't know what my role is here at Fairview. I'm a member. I went through the class, but I need help. And I'm trusting that as a result of this series, no short series on this topic of help, I'm a church member that each and every one of us will be able to articulate and be able to communicate what it means to be a member of a local church. And to those who might say that's not important, I hope the series will show you that it is important. To those who might think they already know, I'm trusting that this series will expand upon what you know so that you might fully understand what it means to be a part of a local church, and in particular for those of you who are members of Fairview. Now, one of the best ways that I can help you as a church member is to obviously turn you to the Word of God. That's the best way. But I'm not taking that approach in this series. I'm going to turn you to a a document that many of you are familiar with. It's called the Church Covenant. And in fact, as one of the inserts in your bulletin, there is the church covenant. So I I trust that you will have that available. But also in the sermon outline, I have included portions of the church covenant so that we might understand what it means to be a member of the local church. Now, please don't misunderstand this. Uh, Don't think that I'm putting the church covenant 
on the same level as the word of God. I'm not doing that at all. And you should know me well enough to know that, that, I, that I'm not doing that. I love preaching and teaching from the word of God. But I believe one of the best documents that we have in a very concise form is our church covenant. It, it explains the responsibilities, the, the covenant that you enter into when you become a church member. And so I'm going to turn to that church covenant because I believe the church covenant is rooted and grounded in the word of God. And if there's anything in this covenant that is not lining up with scripture, then throw it away. But I want to explain this document with the hopes and with the goals that it will help us to know what it means to be a church member. Uh, to bring about transformation in our own local church, to, to let us know what it is that the God of the Bible expects of us as his people. The introduction to the church covenant basically highlights the covenantal badge of a church member. The badge of a church member we recognize a policeman or a fireman by the badge that he or she wears. What's the badge that identifies the Christian who is a church member? I didn't say the badge that identifies the Christian, but the person who is a church member. The introductory section of our covenant helps us to identify that badge. It's the badge of having received Christ. The badge of having received Christ. The Bible speaks of our salvation in many different ways, many different angles. And that's because salvation is great. Salvation is marvelous. Salvation is wonderful. And so we can talk about salvation as being born again. It can talk about salvation as being made alive. It can speak of it as being a new creation in Christ. There, there, there's different ways that the Bible speaks of salvation. One of the ways that the Bible speaks of salvation is having received Christ. And so in our church covenant, the, the statement is made that we believe that the Spirit of God has led us to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. It's affirming that that's not something that we do on our own. We believe that it was the Spirit of God that led us and made it possible for us to receive Christ. Now, now, that idea of receiving Christ, turn with me because I believe it's there in John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. So turn to me, with me, to that important portion of Scripture. John, the first 18 verses, is a prologue and introduces this gospel. And it starts off by telling us certain things about Jesus Christ. Marvelous things. It tells us that he is the word. 
He's the word. And that word was in the beginning. That word was with God. And that word had the essence of actually being God. And in verse 3, it tells us that this word is responsible for creation. But as John continues to write, he says that this word came into the world. That's, that's Jesus, the one who was the eternal son of God, the one who was in a face-to-face relationship with God, that one who created the whole world. John says in verse 10 that he was in the world. And you would have thought the world would have recognized him. You would have thought the world would have embraced their creator. But John tells us in verse 11, in verse 10, that the world, even though it was made through him, did not know him. The world did not recognize its creator. And if that wasn't bad enough, John goes on to say in verse 11 that the one who's the word, the one who is the creator, the one who came into the world, actually came to his own people, to the Jewish people, his own people. And the sad testimony is, is that his own people rejected him. Just imagine you lost your keys and you went to your place of residence and you ring the doorbell. And a family member, someone who lives there, opens the door and you think you can just walk right in. But the family member doesn't recognize you, doesn't receive you, and says you can't come in. That's what happened with our Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe we can understand the world not recognizing him and receiving him. But his own people who had been steeped in the scriptures, who had been prepared for the coming of the Messiah, they didn't receive him either. But the good news is, is in verse 12. John says, but as many as received him. There's the terminology of our covenant. Receiving the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. As many as received him. That's one of the ways of talking about being born again. That's one of the ways of talking about new life in Christ. Receiving him. And John says that as many as received him, Jesus gave the authority, the right to be called the children of God. And he goes on to say, to those who believed in his name, that is, they believed in the person of Christ. They believed in the work of Christ. And not only that, John says, that relationship is because of God. It's not because of blood. It's not because of the will of the flesh or any of those other things. He said these individuals were not born of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of the man. Will of man. The new birth, receiving Christ, is not a human endeavor. God is the one who saves us. 
We don't pull ourselves up by our own bootstrap and think that somehow we can make ourselves right with God. No. We receive the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. And the badge of a church member is that they're genuinely saved. That they truly have been saved by God because they have repented of their sin and put their faith in Christ alone for salvation. But that's not the only aspect of the badge. The badge is also of having been baptized. I'm talking about the badge of a church member. You can be a Christian and you're born again, and you're not been baptized. But our church covenant, and I believe substantiated by the word of God, says that in order to be a church member, you got to first of all be born again. You have to receive Christ. And then those who have received Christ, based on their profession of faith, they have been baptized. Now, now, this is not the baptism of the Spirit that places us into the body of Christ, but this is water baptism. This is baptism where the person who has been born again publicly declares and identifies with the triune God. It's the baptism that is spoken of in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, that passage that we call the Great Commission. Turn with me quickly to that passage. So, so, so the badge of a church member is not only that you've been born again, but that you have been baptized. And the baptism that we're talking about is water baptism. The baptism where a Christian is placed completely underneath the water and immersed and is brought up out of the water. It's the baptism that our Lord spoke about in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Here the Lord has risen from the dead. He has told his disciples, I'm going to meet you in Galilee. So he goes to Galilee and his disciples come there. They, quote, worship. Some doubt it. But our Lord speaks to them and he gives this text that we call the Great Commission. Someone has said, really, it's the great omission because we don't carry it out. But, but the Great Commission is given to us in Matthew 28, verse 19. And the primary aspect of that commission is not go. The, the, the primary emphasis, make disciples of all nations, of all ethnic groups. Jesus said to his disciples, I want you to make disciples of all people groups, of all ethnicities. You're Jews, but you go and make disciples of Gentiles. You go and make disciples that follow me. Obviously, it required them going They had to go. They couldn't stay at Galilee. 
But the reality of the matter, the emphasis of the Great Commission is making followers of Jesus Christ. It's not going overseas. It's not going to another state. It's making disciples wherever you are or wherever God places you. And how do you make disciples? How do you make followers of Jesus? The Lord tells him it's by means of baptism. He says, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Public allegiance, declaring like people have done here at Fairview in in the waters behind me. In the pool, declaring their allegiance to the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says also it involves teaching. You baptize who? You don't baptize just anyone and they become a follower. You've heard me say it before. Uh, You can be baptized and go down into the water as a dry devil. And you come up a wet devil. You're still a devil. The, The water does not change your nature, your being, your character. If you're not saved when you go down in the water, you are not saved when you come up out of the water. But Christian baptism is not some light, trivial thing. The the, the Lord has ordained that his church observe the Lord's Supper and observe the ordinance of water baptism. And and, and the church member, the, the one who is a part of a local church, is first of all one who is born again, and then secondly has been baptized. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That, that's the badge. That's the badge of a church member. Now, now, let me suggest this. Don't wear the badge if you're not going to be a church member. We don't need policemen who are dressed in their uniform, wearing a badge, but they're not on the police force. That doesn't make any sense at all. And and so there are individuals who are Christians, who who are wearing the uniform, wearing the badge, but they don't think it's important to be a part of a local church. You heard Stephen Neal praying for you who are not members of a local church, not members of fear of you or any good local church about being coming members. That's Christianity 101. God wants you, if you are a genuine Christian, if you have been baptized, he expects you to be a part of a local church. Well, I ain't going to get no amens on that, but I'm still going to move on. I'm not deterred. Also a part of this introductory section of the church covenant. We, we see that the church covenant highlights the covenantal relationship of a church member. We, we've looked at the badge of a church member. Now we want to look at the relationship of the church member. When you think about 
being a church member, you enter into relationship with your other brothers and sisters in Christ who meet at a particular locality. And really, it's just an expression. That relationship is an expression of the relationship that happens when each one of us gets saved. At the moment of salvation, the Spirit of God, according to 1 Corinthians 12, 13, places the believer into the body of Christ. And so that when it now comes to the believer as being part of the body of Christ, uh, the believer is no longer separated, alienated from Christ, but instead the believer is now members of one another, that is, members of other Christians. That's foundational to Christianity. Whether you like it or not, when you get saved, you're placed into the universal church, and you are a member along with other Christians who are members of the body of Christ. And that is to express itself. The, the universal church is to show itself in a particular locality. So Fairview is to be a manifestation of the universal church. And as we are members of the universal church, it is our responsibility and understanding to realize that we are members of one another. We're part of the same local church. We have entered into a relationship. And sometimes the relationship with people who look different than us, who talk different from us, who believe, so to speak, on certain matters different than us. Some people think that because they've been hurt in the church, that that, that gives them excuse not to be involved in a local church. I'm here to tell you there is no excuse for not being a part of a local church. You might say, well, I might be moving in a few months. Well, be a member of a local church until you moved. We had an older lady, Sister Inez, and she, no, 88 years old. (laughs) Pretty much the week after she officially became a member of Fairview, she moved. But she did the right thing in becoming a part of a local church because she understood Scripturally, the importance of a local church. So let me point out three things real quick about this covenantal relationship of a church member. First of all, a church member enters the covenantal relationship before witnesses. You've been to a wedding. You've been to a marriage ceremony. And it's pointed out many times that This marriage that the couple is entering into is being done in the presence of God. When you enter into this covenantal relationship, you are doing that in the presence of the divine witness. You're doing it in the presence of God. The God who, according to Psalm 139, you can't escape. Some of us think we can hide from God and that God doesn't see us 
in what we're doing. We think somehow we can maybe get into a dark closet and the piercing eyes of God aren't there. But Psalm 139 teaches us that God is omnipresent, that he is everywhere present with his whole being at the same time. There's nowhere you can go on planet Earth to escape God. Doesn't matter what boat you get on trying to escape, you cannot escape the presence of God. And Hebrews 4 verse 13 makes it clear. It says there is no creature hidden from his sight. Now that can be problematic for us. Because as I said, I think sometimes we think we can hide from God. But the writer of Hebrews says there's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Let that marvelous truth comfort you, not condemn you. Let it help you in saying no to temptation to sin, to know that God is present and he sees everything. So there's this entering into this relationship in the presence of God. Somebody, is that my phone? Okay. <laughs> God sees everything. <laughs> the, the pastor can hear some things. So, <laughs> But it, the witness is not only God, but it speaks of angelic beings. That when we make this covenant, we're doing it in the presence of God and also in the presence of angelic beings. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us a whole lot about angels, good angels, and how they relate to the believer. But there is an interesting passage in 1 Corinthians 11.2 when Paul is talking about the Corinthians and their worship. And it said that women are to have their heads covered because of the presence of angels. And so there might be some validity to the idea that when we enter into relationship, that angels are present, that they are aware. But also, it speaks of other witnesses, human witnesses. Those human witnesses are referred to as fellow church members. The covenant is not between the individual and God The covenant is also horizontal. We enter into covenant with one another. And so that's important to keep in mind. The second thing that I would let you know real quick about this covenantal relationship is that a church member enters the covenantal relationship in a respectful manner. And what I'm picking up on is that we enter into this relationship most solemnly and joyfully. That is, we take this covenant relationship seriously. We we treat it with gravity. We don't enter into this relationship and, and take this covenant wearing a clown suit. 
No, we, we understand the importance of the relationship. We understand the importance of the covenant. We, we, we treat it with having utmost respect, and that is important. And at the same time, we, we, we enter into it joyfully. This is not somebody twisting your arms and saying, you must do this. This is not you uh, hearing the church covenant read to you and a deacon is holding a gun to your head. No, you're doing it joyfully. You're thankful that you can be a part of a local church, that that is God's design for you. And so you treat it respectfully. And then the other thing, a church member enters the covenant relationship with fellow church members. It's not just you. The church covenant, if you read it, it has the language of we, the the language of our, us. Because this is, again, it's not just me making a covenant before God. This is me entering into covenant relationship with every other member who is a part of that local church. And so some churches, when it comes to receiving a member into the local church, read the church covenant. I grew up in a, a church where, um, you know, particularly on first Sundays, we would read the church covenant. I think that's a good idea. I, I think it reminds us of what it means to be a member of a local church. And so when you think about that, when a person receives the right hand of fellowship and and the church reads the church covenant, whether it's responsibly or one reader or whatever the case might be, it is a reminder that I have entered into a covenant relation with that new member and that new member has entered into a covenant relationship with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ at the church. So this is the covenantal relationship of a church member. It's the idea that I enter into a covenant in the presence of God and I do it most solemnly and and joyfully. And and I do it entering into a relationship with my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ because we are seen as one body in Christ. How do you treat the church covenant members of Fairview? When's the last time you looked at it? When's the last time you thought about practicing it? Was it just something that you nodded to? Or was it something that you embraced? The last thing that I want us to see, at least today, relates to the body of the church covenant. We are leaving the introductory section and we come to the body of the church covenant. 
And it highlights the commitments of a church member. The body of the church covenant is divided into three sections. Each section is related to the word agree. We agree. We also agree. We further agree. Uh, There's an agreement here between the individual and the fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. 17, if my counting's right, commitments are made. And I just want to focus in on the first one and just remind us that you and I cannot fulfill any of these commitments without the help and the enablement of the Holy Spirit. Uh, This is not some man-made covenant that you do in your own strength and your own ability. But but the covenant says we, we do this by the aid of the Holy Spirit. We need God's grace. We need God's enablement because we're not prone, even as Christians, to want to do and fulfill these commitments. And so the general commitment, the the one that I want us to see briefly, is that there's a commitment to walk together in Christian love. A a commitment to walk together in Christian love. The the Christian life is pictured as a walk. And, And that's one of Paul's favorite analogies. You can look at his 13 letters, and oftentimes he will use the word walk to describe the Christian life. Particularly in Ephesians chapters 4, 5, and 6, he says that we are to walk worthy of our calling, that is, of our great salvation. And then he goes on to say that we are to walk in unity, that we are walked in holiness, that we are walked in love and in, uh, in the light and in wisdom and also in harmony. And that harmony is to show itself in our marriages, it's to show itself in our family relationships. Peter uses a different term for walk. He likes to see the walk as conduct. But but both ideas let us know that the Christian life is not something where we sit idle, where we sit on a pew, where we're passive. The, the Christian life is something that we do where we're active, where we're engaged. And, and here we learn that the Christian life is to be lived together and not separately. Can I say that again? The, the Christian life is to be lived together and not separately. God does not expect any of us to be Lone Ranger Christians. Even the Lone Ranger had a companion, Tonto. So so who are you living your Christian life with? Are you trying to navigate what God wants you to do in your own strength, in your own ability? He he never designed it that way. He designed the church to be a place to help you and to strengthen you and to encourage you. 
He designed the local church to be a place where you're admonished, where you're rebuked. Somehow in our Western culture, we have personalized, individualized Christianity. It's what I do in private. It's me and my God having devotions. But no, the Christian life is a walk together with my brothers and sisters in Christ. And not just anybody, but those who are members of the same local church with me. We're walking together. And that doesn't mean that I have the same kind of relationship with every member in the church, but it does mean I have a relationship with somebody in the church. There's somebody that I'm walking with. That's what the church covenant is saying, and that's what Scripture says. You don't find Paul or the other writers of Scripture talking to just one individual. When they issue commands, they're always plural commands. You all make disciples. You all love one another. We take that and individualize it. Well, God is saying to me that I am to love others. God is saying to the whole church. When Paul writes to the churches of Galatia, to the church at Ephesus, he's addressing them collectively. The Christian life is to be lived together. And this is where we fail so often. And this is where our brothers and sisters in Christ, who are part of our local church, they struggle. Because no one's walking with them. No one's helping them. No one's fleshing out the reality of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, where the church is presented as a spiritual hospital, where we admonish the unruly, where we encourage the faint-hearted, where we help the weak, where we're patient with all. If you're going to walk with your brothers and sisters in Christ, you better make sure that God gives you patience. Gives you patience. Because they'll break your heart. They'll shock you. But regardless of that, you continue walking together with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Our covenant says that the Christian life is to be lived in Christian love. I I, I could say a whole lot about that, but hopefully you already know that from 1 John, where Paul, where John emphasized love in those three major sections, chapter 2, verses 7 to 11, chapter 3, 11 to 18, chapter 4, 7 through 12. The the love commandment. And, And who can forget that great, poetic piece that's found in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7 that describes love, what love does. Love is patient. Love is kind, etc. And you know what I tell us. Put your name in there. Paul is patient. Oh, really? Paul is kind. And so... As we walk together, we walk together in Christian love. We walk together with our arms locked together. And we have to work 
at that. Some of you want to stay to yourself. You don't want anybody to know what's going on in your life. You hide things, etc. And so when a deacon or a deaconess asks you how things are going, you lie. You say it's wonderful. And your life is crumbling, your marriage is crumbling, etc. And so we need to walk together in Christian love. And that takes the enablement and the help of the Holy Spirit. Now, Lord willing, next week, we'll look at some more commitments of a church member. But I hope this is enough to at least give you a glimpse into what it means to be a church member. A church member is one who has been born again and has been baptized. Is that true of you? A church member is one who has entered into a covenant relationship that he takes seriously, that she takes seriously with other brothers and sisters in Christ. And a church member understands its general commitment to walk together with my brothers and sisters in Christ in love. Let's pray together. Father, we pray your blessings upon what we have heard and that you might give us ears to hear and hearts to heed what thus saith the Lord. Father, help us to benefit from our church covenant. Help us to see it properly as a document that is rooted and grounded in your word and that explains to us what it means to be a member of a local church. Father, I pray for those under the sound of my voice who have been deceived into thinking that church membership doesn't matter. I pray for those, Father, under the sound of my voice who have not received Jesus Christ. They have not been born again. Again, they have not repented of their sins and put their faith in Christ. Pray for those, Father, who as Christians have not been baptized. Pray that they will be obedient to you and willing to identify themselves and pledge allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. God, use this covenant, use your word in our lives to help us to be good church members. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.